Hi, Kim. Hi, Knut. Wow. A lot of stuff happening in the UN Global Compact lately, yeah? Yes, absolutely. I mean, one of the real big things for us is that we have um, have doubled the membership base. So we are now have we have two hundred thirty six uh, members. Two hundred thirty seven, just to just to say. That. Oh, really? Yeah, okay, but that's a pillar. I mean, yeah. of course, it's still um, we are still the largest uh, organization for sustainability and business in Norway, but. You know, there's a lot more company that should join us. So if yeah. you're listening, just join. join. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also a lot of stuff happening for our members. Yeah, of course, we, we are working hard. We have been doing that for a while now to to get good membership activities. And today we launched an um, uh, action platform for a sustainable business in the Arctic. And why in the Arctic? Of course, I mean, the Arctic has, I would say, two things to it that makes it peculiar, uh, special. Um, on one side, uh, the climate changes will strike in the Arctic first because it's close to the poles where we know that uh, the, the temperature will rise quicker. But the second thing is that, of course, there's a lot of business opportunities related to the Arctic, a lot of um, uh, resources, minerals, etc. But of course, also, if the ice melts, we need to have sustainable business going from Europe to Asia via the high north, for example. But we're also working on reporting. And we are now, next uh, Tuesday, we're launching the first uh, meeting in our reporting network on science-based targets. What are the science-based targets and yes, why so should the, people care? Exactly. So the 21st of October, we are doing our um intro to science-based targets something uh, that is uh, basically a way to set goals for the for the company but getting this goal approved by an external panel uh, with researchers so um, there is not that many Norwegian companies that have done this so far uh, but we do see that more and more are coming in because it gives you a sort of a clear understanding that these goals are in uh, accordance with um, the Paris Paris agreement exactly but there's also stuff happening outside of the UN Global Compact Norway network. What's happening, Kim? Yeah, I mean, being in Norway, of course, the Nobel Peace Prize happens around the 10th of October every year. This year, it has been handed to one of the largest humanitarian organizations in the world. And our sister organization. The World Food Program. And we're, we're lucky enough to talk to them uh, some while ago. And uh, why do you think they won the prize, Kim? I mean, we are living in a um, in a world now where we have seen for the first time in a decade a rise in uh, in hunger um, and also in the um, insecurity on food, uh, and this is due to the COVID crisis, especially the last half a year, of course. Um, but also before that, I mean, there were before the COVID, there were already eight hundred fifty million people that were going hungry to bed every every evening every night and this is something the world uh, food program has been working heavily on for a long time it's time to recognize them but also in a situation of war where food is being used as a weapon uh, yeah. not giving to the to the you know people of the other side in in the war yeah so um, but they work they got the uh, the prize for the work they've done especially in war situations but they as you said 850 million people go to bed hungry every night and they work to to combat that and using new technology. So I think it's very, very interesting that we got two women, both from Denmark, coincidentally. Yes, we got uh, Anne Paulsen. Uh, she's the director of the UN F- World Food Program in um, the Nordics. In the Nordics. Uh, former journalist uh, worked on Haiti for the uh, World Food Program earlier, before she came to us. <laughs> and then we got a person from... Uh, food technology company who did we get yeah we got louise fuchs um she's been working with um on communication and sustainability at colonial.no which is a uh, disruptive com- uh, technology yeah, company. Th- i would say so i mean one of the first that delivered food to to homes in norway you know ordering it online and uh, it's a grocery it store that that's yeah, only basically. online and you can imagine uh, that they have I, I would assume that they have done quite well during the the COVID crisis because they were basically perfectly set up for that. Yeah, but they also say that they have sustainability as part of their business model. And I think that's interesting as how they use data and how the World Food Programs uses data to combat hunger and 
the the Colonial Loteno, the the technology company, uses data as part of their business. So I think that this the interesting yeah. merger here is how can businesses use that data and their technology. I think that's what they have in common here, right? Really s- looking at how can you, you know, the transport in, uh, and the logistics uh, and of course also the, the food waste reduction uh, and to reach out to the right people. Welcome to the podcast, Anna and Louise. I think it's the first time we actually have two Danish people in uh, in the studio, and we are going to talk not Danish but English. Uh, let's see if we can do that. But my Danish is not that good, so we will keep the focus on on having a good conversation today. Um, you're both working with food. Uh, and that will be the focus. So uh, obviously the sustainability goal, the SDG number two, that is the short version is no hunger, but uh, of course it's also about sustainable food systems uh, throughout the whole um, uh, episode of today. So I think, uh, I mean, obviously our guests would like to learn a little bit more about who you are. So we are not going into this sort of straight fact-based uh, hunger discussion yet. But I would like to invite you to tell us a bit about each of yourselves and the reason why you are in Norway. So perhaps start with you, Anna. Yes, thank you very much. My name is Anna Poulsen and I'm the head of World Food Programs Nordic office based in Copenhagen. Um, I'm in Oslo today because it's actually World Food Day and I've been invited uh, by you to come in the studio and talk about uh, SDG2, but I've also been invited. And this morning I would I was at uh, Caritas Norway's um, Zero Hunger Conference, uh, which they organize every year on, on World Food Day, um, talking about challenges of reaching a world with zero hunger in 2030. And that's really at the core of the work that we do out of Copenhagen, in the Nordic countries, we communicate, we reach out, uh, we advocate for the uh, for the course, um, and we communicate the results that we achieve together with the Nordic donors, uh, Nordic governments, who are our key partners in this quest to achieve a world with zero hunger. Right. And what about you, Yulis? Are you also working on a zero hunger world? We're working on several of the FN targets, but uh, the reason that I'm here is because I work with uh, a company called Colonial Dodeno. So I'm Danish, but not based in Denmark, I'm based in Norway. And we oh. are actually trying to disrupt the grocery industry. Um, and when you do that, you think long term and you want to do it more effective and you want to do it more sustainable. So that'll be kind of the perspective that I'm bringing to the table from a relatively new company, thinking about a very uh, mature business in a totally different way. Um, I'll share some thoughts on what I think we're doing good and what we could do better. And are you a disruptive person then? Since you are the right person to, you said that you're a disruptive company. And you do, obviously you have been recruited by this company. Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if I'm disruptive, but, but I'm a, an entrepreneur mindset, I think. And I think that's something that a lot of us working at Colonial Todeno share, at least kind of the, the passion for making a change and building something. I think that's kind of a, if we have anything in common, that's the, the DNA. Okay, wow. So you have a disruptive DNA, not bad. And you are both working for a Zero Hunger in 2030, but... Um, which is obviously the SDG or the sustainability goal number two, development goal number two. Um, but it's not really going that well, is it? So at least um, the numbers I've seen is that in the third year in a row, the, the numbers on people that are going hungry to bed every evening, they are it's going up to 820 million people. So one in nine people are actually not getting an nutritious and enough food to have the right development, Anna? Yes, that is correct. And um, it's a very, very uh, unfortunate development and an alarming development. Um, uh, In the previous decades, we saw some really important progress in terms of eradicating eradicating hunger and, um, and 
And unfortunately, there was a change and there was a reset starting 2015 where the number of hungry people started to increase again. Um, yeah, because the big picture is that, I mean, the, the big picture until three years ago was that the number, also the hunger numbers have gone, I mean, the right way since 1990, right? So we have seen, like we've seen in many of the SDGs or the, um, the Millennium Development Goals before that, we saw, uh, you know, basically... All the, the goals that were set until 2015, we saw a, a very good development, right, with school, a, education, health, etc., nutrition as well. But now, are we now at a tipping point where it's going the wrong way again? For uh, what, when it comes to hunger and and malnutrition or undernutrition, yes, it's unfortunately it's reached a breaking point and it's going in the wrong direction. It's been going in the wrong direction um, for three years now, and it's reached. Um, as you mentioned, uh, 821 million people who go hungry every day. That's one out of nine. And there are two main reasons for this. And one of the reasons is uh, conflict. We are in a in a situation today that there is more protracted conflicts in the world than we have ever seen before. And um, the humanitarian needs are simply um, astronomic uh, these years. So conflict drive hunger. Another key reason for increasing numbers is climate change and the impact that climate changes has on people's ability to feed themselves. And Louisa, do, do you, I mean, obviously the numbers on direct hunger in Norway is most likely not that that high, at least compared to other countries of the world. Uh, uh, but do you feel challenges related to, for example, climate change? Because how do you buy your, I mean, can you, can you say a couple of things about what is cool in Aldo So we just understand why have we invited sure. you to the sure. <laughs> to the studio? Sure. So we're a logistics and technology company delivering groceries. Um, okay. And we're doing that uh, partnering up with uh, Rema Tusen in Norway, but also a lot of uh, local um, farmers, etc. So that we have a wide range of products. Uh, so we, of course, de- uh, depend a lot of uh, on the agriculture in Norway and from uh, deliveries from all around the world, as everyone else do. So we are really um, focused on our value chain, right? Because what we are different, uh, how we are different from the shop is that we don't have a shop. So right. yeah. um, we don't have to drive the food to a mid station to then drive it to a shop and to then leave it at the shop so that customers can look at it and that it can lie there, uh, which gives us some um, advantage when it comes to, for example, food wastage. Um, our uh, A lot of our fruit and green comes in the same day as it gets delivered to the customers, uh, which gives us uh, really low wastage. We've uh, halved it every year the last three years and we're at uh, a half percentage this year. Um, I read just today uh, that industry average is 14 when it comes to from the farmer to the transporters. And so I think on an industry level, we are really uh, disrupting how things are done. I have one question because we talked about climate change, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I talked with another company the other day that told me something that was really interesting. So they are producing a product where they are using carrots. Uh, which is usually not a problem in Norway. You know, it's not a problem to source carrot. That's one of the things we actually have, right? But then there was one year there was a, a climate, I mean, perhaps it was climate change related, but at least it was a, you know, a disruptive change that year. So they actually had to order carrots from, from another place in the world because there was not enough in the Norwegian market. It was destroyed. Mm-hmm. So they ended up by the only place they could get actually get uh, not perfect carrots so you know that are not you know that mm. are you know the sort of the the rest of the carrots that are not usually used was New Zealand so mm. they ended up by buying carrots from New Zealand uh, do you have that sort of challenges too where we're using I mean in your uh, sourcing your delivery chain new value chain that you're there are years where you don't get the uh, you know then the resources you need for well it it's it hasn't been a big problem until now but as the as the climate keeps changing, we'll face the exact same problems as everyone else uh, right. handling groceries. So that makes it absolutely relevant for us as well. Um, but on on more of a, a local level, um, 
we have we have more of uh, in the short term an effect of uh, of the climate around us on how we build our and effectivize our value chain and how we incentivize people to have less food wastage at home um, and the more effective we are as a business the more the less um, co2 emissions we have um, and i think that's like sh- short term that's where we can really make a huge impact as a company um, and i think that's an interesting angle to think about and to to discuss a little bit as well is it's easier when you have your business plan aligned uh, with making a climate impact when those two are conflicting it's it's difficult to to really plan uh, for a sustainability at scale right because then it's a target or a goal in the company living somewhere on the side but for us it's if we're more effective if we grow we have more customers so when we deliver our groceries we'll have even more groceries per car that means we'll save private consumers less trips to the shop um, because we drive with dynamic routes. Uh, we're one of very few that do that in the industry. We're 30 to 40 percent more effective than other transport com- uh, companies like Posten and Bring. Uh, so because we apply technology to uh, a lot of links in our value chain, we can really harvest a lot of good synergies for, for the climate. We're going to come back to another example just in a bit, um, because I think what you are, what you are focusing on here is is key, right? So what we are talking about is um, that I mean, in in a way, you could summarize and say that the sustainability development goals and the climate goals are perhaps the the best or the most important uh, business uh, opportunity yeah. uh, of our time, they right? Because there is a lot of problems described and what a uh, I mean, what a business do is to solve the problems uh, of the people, either with services or with products, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I want to take one step back, if I can, because we we were, so I'm I'm curious. Do you have the overview of where the the problems are in the world with regards to hunger? So and then perhaps also bring us slowly into the hunger map live that we heard heard in the beginning. What is that? Uh, and I think that taps perhaps into what we were talking about now. How can company make uh, the sustainability goals and challenges into their core activity? I think you touch on a very important point, Kim. And if you just allow me to <clears throat> to to sidestep a bit or to segue into to to answering your question. Um, Not only allowing you, I ask you to sidestep <laughs> Thank a you bit. so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. No, but I... I I fully agree. I mean, not only for for businesses and for the corporate uh, corporate world is the sustainable development goals crucial. They're crucial for everyone. I think in my time of life, I've never, we've never been on a more defining time um, where we have the strongest tool with the sustainable development goals to really change the way we live and the and the world we want to live in uh the world we want and having had 193 heads of states including the norwegian heads of state and the danish etc signing up uh, on the sustainable development goals and agenda 2030 in 2015 is i see it as the strongest tool we've ever had to really now and for once um, change the way we live and 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 work towards the world that we want, and that goes for corporate uh, the corporate world, but it goes for um, governments, it goes for 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 organizations like mine or um, civil society organization. It goes for for individuals like you or me. You know, we are taxpayers. We are um, we are consumers. We we go and vote every fourth year. So when I buy my groceries or when I buy my clothes, you know, I have a choice. I have an active choice and I can no longer pretend that I don't know, because, of course, we know everything today of where the problems are. And then coming back to your question, Kim, on, on where the problems are in for 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 us, world hunger um, the most, most of the hungry people live in Asia. This is where. So don't live in Africa. No, the prevalence uh, of hungry people is higher in Africa, but in t- in in real numbers, there are more hungry people in Asia than are in 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 Africa. Uh, when you when you say hungry, what w- what isn't that the definition? Because hunger, I mean, I've heard about you can't use hunger crisis and you know like 
there's a certain definition to it, I guess, right? There are. It's true. There are definitions. Um, for instance, you don't talk about a famine unless uh, unless the criteria for famine is reached. So you have different steps to define what level of a food crisis. The way we talk about hunger or food security, um, to, to take it the other way around, food security is when everyone, every man, woman, Child, uh, girl or, or or boy has access to the food and nutrition needed to live active and healthy lives. This is where we have foods, full food security. That's how we define it. So uh, the problems are 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 um, they are everywhere, but they are um, predominantly in Asia and in Africa, with the highest prevalence in in Africa, south of Sahara. And I'm curious. So. What are you doing with the hunger map live? Are you mapping hunger live? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, we are. We actually do already have a have a hunger map, but it's quite static. It's you can f- you can go find it on our uh, website. But with the launch of uh, of the hunger map live, uh, we have teamed up with um, with Alibaba Group. Um, Which on... is an online marketplace, isn't yes, it? Yes, it yeah. is. Um, it's <clears throat> it's a global hunger monitoring system the 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 hunger map live it collects key metrics it collects information all kinds of information uh, that you find online such as food security information weather weather patterns weather forecasts population size conflict hazards uh, nutrition information it collects all kinds of information all kinds of metrics from 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 different um from different platforms and in Sort of near real time, um, and this results in a in a, in a hunger map, uh, interactive map, uh, which can be used um, for stakeholders from all over the board. It's a public common good. Uh, it's put at the disposal for for the entire global community, where everyone can monitor in near real life um, developments, and this is to allow for more and uh, more informed and better decisions on how to best mitigate and how to best help and it's a digital public common good platform it's you can also call it (laughs) it, you can also call it a visual wake-up call because you can go there at any given time around the clock and really uh, see where the problems are and 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 why there are problems and how is this a map that uh, colonial.no could use as well or is it only looking at hunger it's looking at hunger and nutrition. Okay, but for example, I mean, I'm just in my uh, e- ignorance of what the tool is really about and the work you're doing. Uh, uh, so, for example, could it be that we could have a similar map in, in Norway where we could see which... I mean, you, I'm sure you have a lot of big data where people are buying frozen pizzas, which is most likely not the most... There's other things that are more nutritious, at least. Do you have numbers on this? Could you see which uh, which uh, town uh, and and you know in Norway is the how do you say that least nutritionist one? Well, we we work with data on an aggregated level, obviously, when it comes to uh, mm-hmm. segmenting, etc., as everyone else because of GDPR. Uh, and um, but what we do see is something. As a, first, I want to say that it's really interesting collaboration between. Uh, NGO and, a, and a, comp- a tech company, which I think is actually the, the most fascinating thing is that you can really make uh, a lot of uh, interesting projects come alive that have a huge impact. And, and that's really interesting. Then, then for Colonial is, is uh, what I find interesting is, is habits, because to reach all the, the goals that we need to so that we have a solid future, everyone, basically. Um, we need to do things differently. And what we see uh, with grocery shopping online that that I'm quite proud of, even though I actually don't have a, a, a say in that, is to, that when people shop, uh, uh, plan for the future, we plan healthier. So our average basket, uh, shopping basket is 70% greener than what people on average buy in a shop. So, so because when can you... Can you repeat that? So the, the basket is greener when they buy, buy online? Yes. 
because when you when you okay. plan when you make choices in advance right you make them a bit better than when you're in the shop with uh, maybe two hungry kids and a blood sugar crisis and most of us actually shop <laughs> so in the shop without a okay, plan okay so that's a new slogan <laughs> of, of you your uh, you know like yeah. go online be greener yeah, Is that, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah fantastic I'll tip, I'll tip but, the market but I still want to back because you said uh, um, that you have uh, data and you're using them obviously mm-hmm. on I mean according to GDPR and then yeah. um, but you still know where the people. I mean, you can go at least down to municipality level Definitely. and see are they buying, as you said, like are they buying salad in in uh, Tunsberg or mm. are they buying frozen mm-hmm. pizza there? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we could actually get the competition between the the healthiest and the least healthiest town in Norway, right? Yeah, that would actually be really really funny to do. Oh, perfect marketing yeah. campaign yeah. for you guys. Yeah. Uh, but I mean. So, but obviously, the, the the World Food Program is one of the largest organizations in the world, and the, the second largest one, I think, or the, perhaps even the the largest one on emergencies in the UN system. Um, so, how do you? I mean, how do you foresee that this map can help you on your because you have a, a huge operation lo- logistically on uh, on delivery, right? On on food in the, the whole world. Uh, and there's, I mean, it's uh, slightly more complex than most of the food delivery in Norway, obviously, with, you know, like if were climate change, war, conflict, etc. So, so how are you going to use it in your daily work? We will use it um, every single day as we use uh, information and intelligence that we gather already. Uh, the more that we know, the faster we can act and the better we can serve, the better we can help and assist and the cheaper as well we can we can we can operate um this map um will allow us uh, to get um get, gather material from from a lot of different um spheres where where we have this perfect real time or near real time overview which will really help us to make more informed and more timely decisions um Information is key. Information save, saves lives. So mm. the more we know, the sooner we know it, the better we can we connect. Preparedness is everything in our line of business. The more we can be prepared. And a lot of the thing is, that a lot of the things that are happening and have happened historically, you can foresee them. Right. Um, yeah. You can foresee them. And with the mm. proper tools, and we get better and better tools, we get more sophisticated weather forecast uh ways of, of, of forecasting weather uh, patterns um we get much better information through um through mm-hmm. a tool we use which is chatbots for instance we use it not only to give information to people we serve but also receive information from them so the more information we have the better uh the better we can serve and the, and and the better we can be prepared um the more lean and and efficiently we can we we are able to operate so i foresee that this will be groundbreaking in the sense that that it would provide us with um with gathered near real-time information that can can serve uh in the life-saving work that we are doing and a lot of others are doing with us because it's not just a tool for ourselves but it's a tool for the the global humanitarian community and beyond right and it's also i guess it could also potentially be a tool on how to get business on board right on the on, on the work because um i mean combining this big data with other big data would most likely also give more answers for you but also how to set up the value chain uh, on the delivery how to speed up the the value chain on on delivery and i think you said that uh, uh, in in the introduction that you are delivering was it 40% more uh, like your the way you're routing your mm-hmm. delivery makes you more efficient do you think that's something that could be used um, in other contexts too i mean that obviously you are in a lot the the world food program is in a lot of challenging mm-hmm. areas but you're also in areas where it's less challenging obviously so is there a, a possibility here for learning from colonial totano i think it's the 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 way you apply technology to a problem really and uh, one of the problems that we're solving is getting food the most effective way to the table right from farm to the table uh, and we have a lot of learnings there on on the last mile how to get it from our storage to the customer in mm-hmm. a sustainable way that means uh, as much as possible on the car 
Uh, we create uh, something we call dynamic uh, routes, which is based on a lot of data points. Um, so we keep building a richer data set for the most effective route. Um, so we're, we're constantly optimizing, right, for, um, for scale. And that's just a matter of, that's just working lean. And mm, that's, right. yeah, that works in, in any operation. That's a matter of mindset and method. And that applies in, in both our cases, definitely. But do, do you, Anna, do you, do you have like, um, do, you, do you already know some areas where you need private business to come in to work with you? Have you, I mean, other areas where you already say, like Alibaba, you like you, you knew we need a map. We actually need a map that is better than the one we have today. Uh, are there any other areas where you already have sort of, you have defined the problem, but you don't have the solution exactly, uh, but you know that the, the private sector has to come in and, you know, help you with the solution. Absolutely. I mean, yeah? we we already work quite extensively with private sector. Um, and I'd like to mention an example um, uh, of 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 a private sector collaboration. But we seek private uh, we seek this this strategic uh, partnerships with the private sector as well. Um, and again, talking about the sustainable development goals, you cannot reach. We cannot. We we realize even if we are the world's largest humanitarian organization feeding a hungry world and we already have quite a strong logistic muscle our line of work has been historically and still is a lot about supply chain really a lot of supply chain so i mean i'm sure we can learn from you hopefully you can learn from us and that's the whole idea and and we're talking about sustainable development goal number two but i think another goal that i need to mention in this uh, in this uh, part is is 17 partnerships we cannot, we will never reach zero hunger if we don't work in partnerships, and we do in the welfare program. Now, we're experts in, in, in humanitarian food assistance and nutrition and running a lot of the different programs that we operate, but there are things that we are not experts in. And if I may take a little time, I would like to talk about how we have trans transitioned from the, from the traditional food aid which is the bags of rice and the beans and the salt and the sugar and the oil, which was a typical... Yeah, and our stereotype is that you're destroying the local market, right? Exactly. Thank mm. you. I, I will, I will <laughs> happily yeah, also right? venture into yeah, that yeah. At, at whenever yeah, yeah, I no, have... No. Yeah, yeah. No, Tell but us that's why true. you're not doing that anymore. But that's yeah. true. But, but the way we were born as an organization was back in the early 60s when there was a lot of food in, 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 in surplus in our parts of the world and there were people hungry in Africa. So someone got the idea that why don't we fly or sail this food down to Africa and everyone at the time thought it was a good idea but luckily we we are much wiser today and we know that this is destroying local markets so we are not doing that anymore um, but even when I started working for the World Food Program in 2004 in Haiti we were still distributing uh, canned Norwegian fish and yellow Danish yellow split piece uh, that would be shipped from either Norway or, or, or Denmark down to, to Haiti, which doesn't really make sense. We have trans, trans, transitioned uh, the sort of old, old, old fashioned, you, I, I'm tempted to say, food aid into what we now call food assistance. It might not make a lot of difference in your ears, but I'll try to explain it. So we use food aid. Uh, or food assistant today more strategically. We still deliver uh, the the majority of our assistant as in kind. That is the bag of rice or bulgur and, 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 and oil and sugar and salt and beans. But more and more we use cash-based transfers. Um, so instead of giving people um, the physical food package or, or, or food basket, we give them money to buy their own humanitarian food assistance and we do that in countries and in 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 in, in context where there is food on the market and there's functioning systems and we don't need to buy at the global market we don't need to ship we don't need to store we don't need to anything uh, so what you're saying is that a famine doesn't necessarily have to be about if there's crops or not but it's whether the the consumer can buy its own food or not is uh, I mean is it the power of the consumer that is lacking sometimes when there is not enough food uh, for people 
I mean, there's there's food enough for everyone in the world. The problem mm -hmm. is access. The problem is, I mean, even if there's a million Teslas on the market, doesn't mean that I can have one because I might not be able to afford it. And the same goes for food. Even if you have, mm -hmm. if in a in a country like Jordan, for instance, or Lebanon, you have an abundance of shops and supermarkets and food everywhere, but you have millions of Syrian refugees who are not able to buy that food. And in, in these settings, there's no need for us to buy the food and ship it in and deliver it as the traditional food uh, food basket. In those, in those contexts, we provide people here, the Syrian refugees, with the money they need to go to the supermarket and buy right. their own humanitarian food assistance. And coming back to now partnerships, <laughs> yes. which was where we started, and sorry <laughs> go for ahead. this detour, <laughs> yeah. but coming back to partnerships. Um, we're not experts in the World Food Program on electronic payment systems, uh, but MasterCard are. So we have a we have a partnership with MasterCard where they have helped us roll out these electronic payment systems and working with uh, with with Jordanian or Lebanese uh, shop owners, supermarket chains to be part of this program and to to have this technology um, that allows for for us to give refugees a payment card, an electronic payment card, and then top up every month with with the amount that corresponds to a to a food ration uh, per member of the family. And then they go shop their own food assistance, which is a win all through the the the, the value chain. It's a win for the, the refugees because they get to get freedom of choice flexibility a bit a, a sense of more normality in their lives uh it's it's a clear win for 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 the local um traders the local economy uh, there's a lot of money being infused into local economies and a lot of jobs being created mm -hmm. this way around and then for us it it it's it saves us a lot of the 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 supply chain work by you know the whole procurement side of things, the whole transportation side of things, and the storage kind of thing uh, side of things. So, so it's an example of how we we find uh, partners who have expertise that we need in our operations. Uh, we work uh, closely as well with uh, the Danish uh, shipping company Maersk, uh, where they provide um, technical expertise, but also hardcore transportation for for some of our goods when uh, in term in in times of emergency when i'm listening to you now i'm just wondering so colonel you are mostly in, around oslo are you or in the whole country we're covering uh, around half of the country but most oh, of do. the people live here down at Östlande, at Wissen, okay right now i was just just wondering like hmm, perhaps we should bring in the world food bank to you know to make sure that we can get some of the culinal.no food up to the, to the north, to north. <laughs> yeah which is because it's um, i mean the distance are bigger uh, but most likely the UN wouldn't be very happy to have a lot of work in a high-income country if I know the system uh, well. But uh, so, so how can I mean, like, how are you uh, thinking of expanding and at the same time stay sustainable? Since you're saying sustainability is at the core of of your work, I mean, so you've been since the first letter you've been referring to sustainability, green. Uh, you know, like, how do you do that? I mean, like, obviously for for the World Food Program, it, I mean, they have a very clear, you know, get food to the people mm -hmm. uh, sort of thing. Um, but you also have the same, at least you're taking on the same, uh, you know, um, goal or motto, you know. Definitely. So I think we we begin with looking at how we can innovate on infrastructure um, and on industry because we're saying we want to change the whole industry. So that's uh, first you crack that code and then you can scale it. Uh, and we're disrupting the grocery industry. Um, and in Norway, um, we have a tradition of a lot of shops. And of course, the long distances between cities would make it harder for us uh, to scale, but it's absolutely solvable. The, pro the, the, the code we had to crack was how to do it efficiently, how to get one grocery basket to one customer in an efficient and sustainable way and we've learned how to do that and then we're uh, i think it's on a on year six now and then we're ready to scale it and what, what is the usually in the un system they always talk or we always talk about bottlenecks so the bottlenecks are and then you know something you know the challenges you face so is that just distance or would it be easier if we had trained to 
to Tromsø. Well, in the uh, beginning, <laughs> it was getting actually yeah. groceries because uh, in Norway we have quite a monopolized uh, grocery structure, so mm. actually getting the same uh, groceries so that we had a good offer to offer our customers was a challenge, but then we had an agreement with Rema Tusen, which made that easier, and now we're fighting to get the same um, shopping criteria as uh, the rest of the industry, but that's a whole different uh, conversation. Um, I think. But feel free to tap into that <laughs> whole different uh, conversation <laughs> if you want. I mean, I'm sure there's some listeners that are aware of uh, the challenges of um, some big actors uh, in in every market, right? So it's interesting to see. I'm, I'm sure you have the same problem, Anna, as well. That there's always, you know, you always have to work with different actors in, yeah, in the market. Definitely. And it's about um, uh, where you are at in your maturity level. Um, and currently, from a sustainability perspective, which is the most interesting one today in this podcast, it's um, how do you as a company go about with sustainability? Because uh, I joined Colonial in February and um, I'm heading up communications and sustainability. Uh, we don't have a specific communications strategy, but we're really good at communications. Already the company was before. We don't have a separate sustainability uh, strategy, but it's integrated as a part of kind of the, the core strategy of the company. Uh, and I think that's really strong. So where, uh, where we're beginning is to um, optimize our own value chain from a sustainable perspective, right? Before we go to our customers and say, hey, we could actually help you buy, a, buy greener. Uh, are you interested in how much emissions there is in your grocery basket? We can help you fix that. Um, I think that's like the long con. And I think we are in a really good uh, position to be able to do that with all the data that we have and how we could actually tag food, etc. But we're we're not quite there yet. And I think for a brand, it's a little bit more um, sympathetic that you really own your own value chain and have control of everything and have optimized everything you can before you start telling other people what they should do. Um, but there is a lot of interesting potential in um, when we grow bigger, also putting pressure on um, people delivering the food because today we can't even if we wanted to uh, there is no good way of tagging um, there is no um, policy on how you should actually tag food for how environmentally friendly it actually is right um, <laughs> Yeah. So, so there. I mean, there is um, there's discussions now ongoing on uh, a new law in Norway on et ethical information, right? Which is uh, following on the, the the former or what is already in place the environment information law. So that would also at least then give the opportunity to the um, to the uh, consumer mm -hmm. to dig more into the background information. Yeah. And I think that is a uh, it's an, an interesting area um, that we could have gone further into but I'm gonna try to sort of slip us into another area which is of interest for all of us I think um, and that is the question that so every year you and Global Compact um, we are launching our a progress report on this on the sustainable development goals and um, this year uh, as years before it has shown that um, if you look at all the 17 goals uh, the, the goal that this the second least, the goal that um, companies are secondly least working on, if you see what I mean, uh, is the one on hunger. So even though one, you know, even though one billion people are working in the agricultural sector, you know, so it affects much more people than that, obviously. Uh, it's still one of the goals that companies are not working on, and most companies are. I mean, not as directly as as, as you, you Lisa, uh, Louisa, but uh, most companies are affected by uh, food, obviously. Uh, so my question is, how how come? I mean, like it should be much higher. It should be. It's only twenty percent of companies in in that was uh, one thousand five hundred companies that was part of this uh, survey from the whole world. What should we do then to bring them on board? Because this should be, you know in the central piece of every company basically i mean if you're not working on it you should at least report on your footprint or your recycling on your work on food but it's only 20 percent that actually does that and that are you and global compact companies which are most likely slightly more ahead than others that because they have taken a choice to be member of the largest um, 
you know, uh, company initiative for sustainability in the world. So what what are your reflections on this, uh, Anne? It's probably a bit um, beyond my field of expertise, but that shouldn't prevent me from giving, <laughs> giving you an answer anyway, or at least try to speculate a bit. So, so sorry if I um, if I, I I dwell into speculation now, but um, I mean, for luckily for a large um, part of us in the world, hunger is no longer a reality it's mm. it's 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 um in our part of the world luckily it's been it's i mean it's not a part of our daily day thinking and for companies it might not be either um i would i would i would take on an optimistic approach um and and claim that i think we will see it coming uh, I, I love what you say, Louisa, about uh, about you know um, sustainability not being sort of an add-on or SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals, not being an add-on to a company, but an integrated. Of course, yeah. this is the way it should be. It's not this add-on that oh, at the end of the year you do some good and in some sort. It has to be totally built in and integrated yeah. in everything we do as a private sector company or anything else. Yeah. Um, okay. And I think. The growing understanding on 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 sustainable development goal number two zero hunger. I think there is a growing understanding uh, for the for the crucial importance of this uh, of this challenge challenge or this this obstacle for 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 re- for 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 having sustainable development. That hunger, that malnutrition, is really that is a whole prerequisite uh, mm. for. Uh, for any other sustainable development, and I think we're seeing it more and more. It's uh, hunger and nutrition, or hunger and malnutrition, has become a key priority of the Norwegian government. It's we have a pretty new government in 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 Denmark. It has become a key priority of the minister in Denmark. It becomes key in a s- number of countries because I think it's dawning upon. Um, upon us uh, mm. across the world on across the sectors um how important uh, food is how important nutrition is and how important you know having access to the proper nutrition is for building future generations yeah. um there's a, a a study uh, made in africa this year's these years called the cost of hunger in africa where uh where we look at the economic imperative uh, not the humanitarian as if it was not enough in itself but if you had to look at it from an economic uh, side of uh, or a perspective uh, this is done now these years um, with the african union world food program is part of it as well where we look at what does hunger uh, actually cost when when you have large proportions of the new generations children born into the world uh, in a number of african countries what does it cost when they are malnourished from early childhood from in the first crucial thousand days which is from conception till they turn two years old uh what 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 the price tag is and it's huge amounts of money that is lost every year to uh, malnutrition in early childhood for a country like ethiopia when that report came out it was 16.5% of the GDP, GDP that was lost uh, on malnutrition. I think there's a growing understanding of, of, of these issues. There's a growing understanding also of the lack of development and uh, the economic potential um, that also private sector and companies uh, you know, take, should take a keen interest in. So, so I feel we have seen in in the World Food Program this this growing understanding and this growing acceptance of of the importance of 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 um, ensuring adequate nutrition for all and that no one goes hungry because this is really what we need to build a sustainable world. Right. So, Louisa, to follow up on the same question, basically, how 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 are you looking at it? So, how how do you convince? Uh, yeah, people that are working perhaps in a way in the same position as you, but not necessarily in a, in a food company, to take on board both the the SDGs, the, the goals, and but also the um, uh, you know the food goal, uh, because the hunger goal is also a food goal, right? It's also about nutrition. It's also about sustainable 
food system is not only about not so it's also relevant for Norway obviously so how would you go uh, what would you tell them I'm sure we have some listeners here that need some advice <laughs> well uh, I'll, I'll give it a shot I think that um, you have to take a step back and look at what problem you're solving as a company what are you actually trying to achieve and then I think there is a lot of good to be done in each and one of the goals and sometimes there is a positive side effect on, for example, the zero hunger target when you work uh, towards climate action, for example, lower your emissions, etc. There is a lot of rub off effects that are positive. Um, but you have to pick the goals that are true to your strategy, because otherwise you won't really succeed in getting an impact, because then you can break it down, you can make it uh, visual, visual uh, with uh, everything from dashboards to KPIs on a weekly basis, which makes it much easier to actually manage. Um, so taking it from the kind of what's the company trying to solve, what's the strategy down to a more tactic level, um, because then it becomes a part of your everyday work. Uh, and for us, uh, we're working with obviously a lot of technology and we have our own technology from end to end. So we own all the data and the way we use it uh, in various ways is, for example, forecasting which is extremely important for us so that we know how much we have to order and we know how much we have to drive. Um, so being really good at data and insights for us is extremely important so that we can uh, be active on uh, innovation and infrastructure, for example, uh, target number goal number nine, or for climate action, lower emissions, etc. Um, yeah. So I think we have two challenges here, right? We have On one side, we have the challenge that we want all companies to do something on all goals, which is obviously also challenging for the companies. Yeah, and you have to choose. Yeah, in a way you have to, right? So some companies would say that they're not working on this because they they are not a food company as such. But on the other side, of course, we need to learn across uh, sectors. So that's why, for example, you and Global Compact Norway, we are now uh, setting up an action platform on sustainable food systems. We're inviting not only you know the, the typical ones and Colonaldo and are obviously uh, invited to join, uh, but also you know finance actors or, uh, for example, um, uh, digitalization companies. Because if you can get an overview of all the food that is wasted, and I think on a global level, it's one third of all fo- uh, food produced that are never is never consumed, exactly. right? So so and in Norway, I guess it's almost the same number, if yep. I'm not mistaken. So. One third. One third, right? Yeah. So, so I think these are the things that we are trying in the Norwegian uh, Global Compact to, to how can we bring actors mm. together, uh, and that's sort of our goal, right? Yeah. So, how can we set up cooperation uh, between companies? Um, the time is running quickly. Uh, we still have some time. Uh, so now it's time for your, uh, oh, do you say last pitch or, or uh, you know, like, but don't, you know, just take your time. Uh, I'm, I'm, I don't, do you, what do you want to add? Because uh, Can I shoot in something? Yeah, of course you just can. Because Anna yeah, said something ahead. that I really liked about how um, it's easier mobilizing for change today. People have it more up, up, up front, realizing that we really have to do something, which is really f- f- fantastic. Um, but I do still see a lot of companies setting targets that are more maybe PR friendly than they are actual impact friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in order to really um, change that uh, from from my perspective, sitting in Norway is um, transparency and that a lot of the discussions that companies are having, uh, maybe we should be having more openly sharing numbers basically uh, and targets yeah i mean on digitalization of uh of of food uh, food waste is most likely one of these because there is not as far as i know a complete overview today of the of the whole food sector in norway yeah uh and at least mills came to us and, and and asked us could we have that discussion yeah because i mean uh, Gruppen and others they have the numbers and but they they're perhaps not sharing e- it and perhaps they are sharing it to some extent uh, I don't know I don't know the details of this but then it's always shared by companies so it's not put into one system right so that would be a very interesting uh, discussion to have uh, I think and I mean obviously if you can digi- digitalize the food waste in the world that would be fantastic but it's most likely a, a 
a slightly longer shot, isn't it? If I may, I mean, what I may add here in, in the last yeah. minute, um, <laughs> if this is my final pitch, I, I, I really would like to go somewhere else uh, and again sort of go back to where I started, that this is a very crucial time. We are under this really sick deadline now. We have 11 years left to 2030 and to reach zero hunger. So we need to work really, really, not only fast, but we also need to work better and we need to find new ways of working. Otherwise, we will never achieve the uh, sustainable development goals. Um, in in our case for the World Food Programme, uh, we cannot just go on saving the same lives again and again and again, even if, of course, that's a huge part of our work to save lives in, in humanitarian crises. But we cannot continue to save the, life, save the, save the same lives. We need to change lives so that people can be prepared, can take care of themselves in hard times and eventually build uh, sustainable food systems and, and, and be self-suppliant and, and, and having no need for us anymore. So, so finding these new partnerships, whether it's private sector, whether it's government, whether it's civil society, finding these new partnerships. Mm. Um, we have a brilliant example of a partnership we have with the money from Norway and with the collaboration with Norwegian Yara on, on what we call Farm to Market Alliance, and that comes back to food waste, or in our case, food loss. Because the in the countries where we work, food is not wasted on the plate. Food is wasted or at the fork, but it's wasted at the farm. It's really poor storage facilities, it's poor handling facilities, it's poor access to markets. And there we have a consortium, which we're part of, and which Norwegian Yaras is part of as well, where we uh, work to uh, educate, to equip, and to empower uh, smallholder farmers, including teaching them and training them and giving them the tools for better storage and for better access to market. Because again, you can have a country with a, like Haiti, where I worked myself uh, for a number of years for the World Food Program. You can have an abundance of of of, of crops uh, or fruits, but they're just sitting there to rot because people cannot get them to the market. So working on all these different aspects and value chains and in partnerships, uh, that's really what we need to do and find these new ways of working. Innovate, Hunger Map Live, anything else, innovate um, to serve not only faster but also better and the good thing is that we have seen since 1990 we have seen in general we have seen a very good i mean the big picture is that the things are moving in the right direction i mean one exception we heard today about the <clears throat> nutrition situation in the world but on the other side we've seen that the child mortality have been more than halved uh, one of the reasons for that is obviously that we have reduced the amount of people not getting the right water and not getting the right food since diarrhea is one of the toughest uh, child killers we see. Um, so, I mean, the, the big picture on the social side of things are actually that things are moving to a big extent in the right direction. And, I mean, to be part of it must be a, a great possibility for yeah. both of you to be part of that sort of movement, uh, or all of us, that we can continue to move it also on the climate side. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think it's important to to bring in kind of the consumer or the the normal people on what they can do because we see a huge change there and the, uh, in the behavior with just within our customers that our most popular burger doesn't have meat and it just there is um, change mo being mobilized within uh, the active choices we make every day so i think that's just an important thing to maybe <laughs> end with is that how we shop exactly. every day and what we do every day does really matter uh, and if there are i mean if there are any companies out there listening so i can share with you uh, some insights on intel and that is there were, i mean one of the largest surveys just done in the uk and and the us shows that 90% almost 90% of all consumers want companies to to take sustainability choices for them yeah you know so make it easy to take the choices i mean obviously each and every one of us should you know th look look into this by ourselves but we should also expect from the companies and we've seen a shift in investments as well where yeah. the since 2018 the amount of investments going into green and sustainable bonds have gone up by 30 percent so there is something happening here uh, all of us can be part of that big movement and that's the reason why we are 
working in UN Global Compact. And exactly as I was going to to end, Anna has a comment. Yes, no, I I, I was just prompted by 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 you, Kim, saying that it uh, you know it must be nice working in this field of work that we are in, Louise and I, and I can only confirm and 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 say that it's hugely gratifying to to be working in this line of, of, of business, if I may. But I think also, and I think it, it's important to stress that also as a Dane, and I think you as Norwegian, we should be hugely, um, feel hugely gratified and, and proud of the role that our governments, our countries play um, for uh, these challenges, these global challenges, including hunger and malnutrition. We actually have in Denmark and in Norway, um, governments who prioritize this and who actually uh, are extremely important strategic partners and and also contribute enormous sums of money um, to to combat hunger. So I think we can all feel feel um, feel privileged in the sense of being in countries that take such a big uh, responsibility on the global scale. Yeah, and the same goes, I would say, to a very big extent for Norwegian companies, and that's also why we are inviting all of them aboard. Uh, UN Global Compact Norway now have uh, we have around uh, 130 companies and it has been increasingly uh, the number is increasing since we opened the doors on the 1st of September 2019 so obviously all listeners that are interested in getting more information please contact us and with those words I think we will end this uh, podcast for today thank you so much for coming thank you for having us thank you